At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare all these guys who run these organizations who talk about analytics they have one thing in common they're a bunch of guys who ain't never played the game and they never got the girls in high school and they just want to get the game welcome to vsense hardwood handicappers as you guys look at me you see the backwards hat the uh, gray socks the funky outfit and you say now this guy's a chump am i right no, now here's your host jonathan von tobel what's up folks welcome into this seat end of the conference semifinals in the east and uh we'll have a conference semifinals finisher in the west as well later tonight i'm jonathan von tobel we are coming to the end over in boston and uh, was very excited for this one but it looks like it's going to be a snooze ribbon end 97 75 437 left to go and those 437 oh that's uh how much time is left until the boston celtics it seems punch their ticket to the eastern conference finals with a brilliant performance today offensively for Boston, well, from beyond the arc, not overall offensively, and an even more brilliant effort on defense. Story of the game, though, because, of course, the Game 7, Jason Tatum, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Jalen Brown, these are the guys that are going to step up and perform in a really big way. Not so much. Grant Williams today, the star, 7 of 18 from three-point range. He now has the record for most three-point attempts in a Game 7. That is per multiple sources here. Uh, So he is the performer of the day, but the three-point shooting overall for Boston very, very good in this second half. Jason Tatum, 23 points with 5-9 and nine shooting from three-point range. Still not the leading scorer, though, behind Williams with his 25 as it stands right now. Some of the advanced numbers here for the Boston Celtics, talking about how well they've played this thing defensively up to this point. A defensive rating of 85.2 for the Boston Celtics at this point in this game against the Milwaukee Bucks. And we kind of thought this was coming to a certain extent. Giannis Antetokounmpo has been absolutely fantastic in this series for the Milwaukee Bucks, but he's been doing it largely on his own. You see some of the numbers for him in terms of points per game, rebounds per game. It all tells a story, but how about this? ESPN stats at info. Giannis Antetokounmpo, the first player ever with 200 points, 100 rebounds, and 50 assists in a single series. And you look around at who else was going to show up for Giannis, and that was going to be the question. At first, it looked like it was going to be Brooke Lopez today, who had an early nine points in this contest, but fell off, still only has 15 at this point of the game. Drew Holiday has 21, put on a uh, somewhat inefficient 9-21 from the floor and 0-6 from three-point range. And the bench, which came in today averaging just about 26 points per game, a very poor number, has only 12, with Bobby Portis leading the way, 10 points on 4-9 shooting for the reserve players here of the Milwaukee Bucks. So when you looked at this overall, and Game 7s are known to be kind of wonky and weird, and this has turned out to be a very wonky and weird game, and the officials did not make it uh, any easier, considering how poorly they officiated this thing, and this thing's going to go under the total as well, it seems, unless something 
wild happens over the last two minutes and 55 seconds to push this game over the total. Uh, but not the names that you expect. When Peyton Pritchard uh, is getting out there and getting a little frisky in terms of uh, working in isolation and hitting some three-point shots, uh, you know it's going to be a weird game, and that has ultimately been the case. So the Boston Celtics, again, looks like they're going to move on to take on the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, and that is going to be a hell of a series because those are two teams that are pretty evenly matched. And we'll get to the regular season series numbers between those two. Boston uh, with some early season success against the Miami Heat in the regular season. Only one game to really take uh, from these two meeting in the regular season, but still go over all that and uh, some numbers with that matchup. So we'll keep you abreast of the final score. 253 to go, 99-77. Celtics up by 22 over the Milwaukee Bucks and on their way to the Eastern Conference Finals. But we do have a Western Conference semifinal matchup later tonight. So let's get there because we do have one more Game 7 coming up in a little less than two hours from now. Phoenix Suns going to play host to the Dallas Mavericks. Right now on the board, 6.5 with a total of 205. Extremely low total. Uh, but these Game 7s, again, they take on some really weird shapes and forms, and they tend to be very, very slow and uh, very disjointed, and you saw what happened today, and we've seen plenty of examples. One of the best examples uh, is if you remember the Orlando bubble, that ridiculous series between Dallas and Utah. That was a, It seemed like it was like 120 to 122 every single game between the two of them, and then you get to a Game 7, and it was an absolute rock fight that sailed underneath a really low total. So you're going to get this in terms of these games. So this might seem a little low for this game, but it goes right in stride with what we've seen in terms of history. First half total low of 104.5. But where do you start with a game like this? Well, first off, you start with the number, uh, which is right in line with where we've been, at least from a side perspective, right? The total changes, the side not so much. Uh, this right now is right in line with where we were for games one and two. Close six in game one. Some spots close seven in game two. Uh, but ultimately, this is right in line with where we've been throughout this entire series. One outlier, really, uh, has been the Boston, or excuse me, uh, the Dallas Mavericks closing as a three-point underdog in game four. If you remember, I think that was actually last Sunday, all time mounts together, uh, when the market was really coming in on the Phoenix Suns. So there's been a lot that's gone on over the last few games in this series. It, it is the Mavericks who come into this game in really good form. Three and one straight up and against the spread in the last four games of this series. The lone loss, of course, as we know, on the road against the Phoenix Suns and road teams in this series. It was the Miami Heat series as well. Uh, had been oh and whatever uh, straight up and against the spread. And that's the case here. Road teams in this series, 0-3 straight up and ATS. So this short history would tell you that the Phoenix Suns are well on their way to potentially punching a ticket to the Western Conference Finals yet again. But I do think that if you look at this overall, somewhat similar to Boston today, and I wrote about this in the column up on vcin.com, which you can find at vcin.com slash jbt, where if you looked at some of the underlying numbers for Boston coming into today, you saw that they had a positive net rating of 4.2 in non-garbage time minutes. They were 4-2 and two against the spread overall in the series, and that other cover depends on where you looked at in terms of the number, but for the most part, 4-2 and two in the series ATS coming into this matchup. There were a lot of indicators that Boston should be the favorite team, should be the team that comes out on top of this game. Now, to this degree, obviously not. But still, there were some indicators that that was the case. And I think that holds true here for the Dallas Mavericks taking on the Phoenix Suns. While Dallas does have a negative 2.2 net rating and non-garbage time minutes in this series, if you look at the last four games, this has been a completely different series for the Dallas Mavericks. A positive net rating of 5.7 points per 100 possessions, 3-1 straight up and against the spread, as we mentioned. Now, the caveat is... Three of those games have come on the road, so we'll keep that in mind as we move forward here. But I think what has really transpired for the Mavericks, it's been twofold. First off on offense, they've really found their flow. And they're using a very similar game plan to that which they used against the Utah Jazz. 
It is four or five out. It is beat our guys off dribble penetration. It is kick it out to shooters, generate open shots, and hit those shots. If you look at some of these numbers for the Mavericks, 25.7 catch and shoot three-point attempts per game in this series. In the series, not just the last four games, in the series. They're shooting 40.9% on those attempts. That approach allowing them to look or to get some of those uncontested looks. 24.6% of the three-point attempts for the Dallas Mavericks are coming off as wide open, uncontested, defender six feet or further away, and they're shooting over 40% on those looks as well. They have really, on the offensive end of the floor, done a brilliant job of getting dribble penetration and moving this and getting the Suns into the rotation. It's been brilliant to watch this for the Dallas Mavericks, very similar to what they did in the last round. And then you look at what they've been able to do defensively over the last couple of games here, and you can't help but be impressed. Dallas has limited Phoenix to 106.3 points per 100 possessions in non-garbage time minutes over the last four games. They have forced turnovers on 18.3% of the offensive possessions for the Phoenix Suns. And at the middle of all of this is Chris Paul. And we're going to talk a little bit more about player props coming up in a little bit. But what Dallas has been able to do to Chris Paul in terms of sending just different rangy long defenders at him, whether it's Frank Nilakina, whether it's Dorian Finney-Smith, whether it's Reggie Bullock, Frank Nilakina has been the biggest difference maker in terms of what he's been able to do defensively. But this has really mucked up everything for the Phoenix Suns in this series in terms of their offense. Chris Paul, only 9.3 points on seven attempts per game with 18 total turnovers over the last four games. And if you look at Frank Nilakina and the way that he has been playing, their defensive rating, the Dallas Mavericks, improving by 15 points per 100 possessions when he's on the floor. And when you look at this and you can say, okay, yes, that's all great, but these are the last four games where a majority of these contests have taken place at Dallas. And while that is a fair point, if you look at the way that these two teams have performed respectively on the road, Dallas has been the better performer in Phoenix as opposed to what Phoenix has done in Dallas. On the road in Phoenix, 108.3 offensive rating for the Dallas Mavericks compared to the 103.8 offensive rating for the Phoenix Suns in Dallas. So what you're looking at here is I think that's a team, the Dallas Mavericks, who have been slightly more consistent with their offensive output. And even in those games against Phoenix, you know, I think I brought this up last week, if you look at some of the shot quality metrics for what has happened with the Dallas Mavericks in this series, you're talking about one game in which they likely should have covered, and that was the one when Spencer did what he missed a shot at the end to not cover a game. They ended up losing that by seven. There was a shot quality upset in which if you looked at the shot quality numbers, uh, they should have they could have won this game. We'll call it, we'll put it that way, if they shoot at least an average on the quality of looks that they have. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at pet 365 21 plus only must be present in ohio if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER from bbc radio 4 britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip i thought in that moment oh my god we've summoned something from this board This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And if you look at the way the Phoenix Suns have been playing on the road, it's been a lot of what Dallas has been able to do to them defensively. So I think when you kind of put this all together at this point, To me, it leads me to look at the Dallas Mavericks in this spot against the Phoenix Suns. 
you know, they, I think they have been the more consistent team on the offensive end of the floor. They have had their more comfortable moments on the road as opposed to what Phoenix has done on the road, which has looked absolutely abysmal. They do, I think, have the best player on the floor in Luka Doncic, which counts for something considering that Luka Doncic is averaging, a ridic- averaging ridiculous 39 points per game in elimination contests in his career in the postseason. I think the Dallas Mavericks are in a spot here to not only cover, but potentially win this game. And you see those numbers from Doncic. It's not, it is not an anomaly what he's been able to do. 31.1 points per game, 10.1 rebounds, 6.9 assists. He continues to deliver in high leverage moments. Last year and the year before, it took everything for the Los Angeles Clippers to eliminate him. We have seen him do this in European play. We've seen him do this in the Olympics. That counts for something as well. I'm big on numbers and analytics, but I'm also you know, not blind to seeing what goes on when guys perform and step up on the big stage. All right, well, we're all done here. It is official. The Boston Celtics are going to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. The score is done 109-81. to Your final score here as the Celtics eliminate the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks and will move on to face the Miami Heat. Now, that series is going to take place on Tuesday. That's when it gets started. And uh, as those numbers come out for Game 1 and what the series prices are while we're on the air, because those will come while we're on the air, uh, we will keep you up to date on what happens as it comes along. First number that's up here makes a little bit of sense as well. Miami, a two-and-a-half-point favorite, total 206-and-a-half. Again, this series tips off Tuesday, May 17th. So we'll dive into that as the show goes on. We had a really good slate of guests as well. Coming up at the bottom of this hour, Mitch Moss, host of All the Money, is going to be with us, get his thoughts on what we just saw, if he has anything for Phoenix and, of course, uh, uh, Miami, and uh, what he makes of two potential Western Conference Finals matchups, either Golden State and Dallas or Golden State and Phoenix. Also in the second hour, we got a lot to get to as well. Patrick Everson's going to give us the down low on what's been happening from a betting perspective for this Game 7 between Dallas and Phoenix. And we're also going to talk to Brad Bach, an NBA writer, CBS Sports, get his thoughts on the series that is to come in the East. So we'll be back. It's the Hardwood Handicappers. We're off and running here on Visa and the Sports Betting Network. Vicent's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. All right, folks, we got a uh, we got a lot to get to here as the show rolls on. The Eastern Conference Finals are set. For those who are just joining us, I'm, I'm sure you know Miami is going to take on the Boston Celtics. Miami is the top seed in the Eastern Conference. I will be host for this series. We favored in this series. Uh, odds numbers starting to get posted right now, so we'll keep you uh, abreast of everything as series prices and numbers. Uh, are hung up on boards across the country. Now, as of now, Miami opens up in game one as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, total of 206-and-a-half, and And, uh, down to two, as I am told in my ear. Yep, and I just pulled it up on DraftKings. We're down to two here, and uh, I would agree with that sentiment, and uh, we'll get to that because I think there's going to be a lot. I will bet money. I will bet money on the game, Uh, but I will also bet money that you will hear at some point, "Mm, not a good spot for the Boston Celtics coming off of an intense game seven than getting only one day off to go take on the Miami Heat in South Beach. I feel like that would be a little bit of an overblown uh, situation, but also if the Celtics fail to cover that game and they lose it, um, that, of course, will be the reason why they do it. But regardless, a couple of quick notes uh, on the game that we just watched to to kind of put a bow on what we saw between Milwaukee and Boston. How about this? Uh, The Bucks guards, not named Drew Holiday. You ready for this? Six points, 2 of 17 from the floor, 0 of 12 from three-point range combined. That would be Grayson Allen, Pat Connaughton, Wes Matthews, and George Hill. Uh, I think Chris Middleton was missed in this series. For Milwaukee, 
And also, I mean, I have to say too, uh, I think, you know, I thought that the Celtics would win this series, even if Chris Middleton was going to be out there. I think I was probably wrong on that, man. Middleton was largely missed and still pushed them to seven. Uh, now, we don't know how things play out, how matchups are different with Middleton out there, but still, very, very, very well-fought series from Milwaukee without their second-best player. Also, uh, for those who were uh, not keeping track in the first half, a brutal beat for first-half betters uh, who had Milwaukee, a ridiculous foul call at the end, where at the end of one of the games in Milwaukee, I think it was game three, uh, one Marcus Smart can't get a foul called on a clear three-point attempt when they're down by three with four seconds left to go. Instead, he's given two shots, but at the end of the first half in this game, he's given three shots, and of course, it's all three, and the Celtics go on to cover the first half number. So a ridiculous first half and a ridiculously officiated game, neither here nor there. So let's talk a little bit about Miami and Boston, what we could expect to see. In the regular season, uh, Boston did win that. They only played three games. Boston was 2-1 and one straight up, 2-1 and one against the spread. Um, if you look to, like, they, they won uh, the two matchups comfortably. First game in November by 17 points, and then the other one, the follow-up one in January by 30 points, posted a plus 12.8 net rating in the regular season series the Celtics did, and the only meeting in which these two teams were at full strength. So, again, you don't want to take too much out of the regular season at all. Back in November, and that was the game that Boston won by 17 points. So as you look at this and, you know, you can kind of whittle this down in terms of like offensively, how does Miami face this defense defensively and the other way around, how this goes. So I kind of wanted to start looking at this from the perspective of Miami offensively taking on Boston's defense. So Miami's offense, I think where you kind of start here when you're evaluating a, a series like this is at least where I gravitated towards you know, what is Miami's weakness, essentially? Especially if you're looking at this from their offense taking on the Celtics defensively. And I think that's where you start with their half-court offense. Miami averaged 93.4 points per 100 plays through the first two rounds. That's against Atlanta, who's not a very good defensive team, and Philadelphia, who played two games without Joel Embiid. And you wonder how that looks against Boston, which coming into today had the best defensive rating in half-court settings in the postseason, allowing only 89.7 points per 100 plays. And you look at today kind of building on that and how they performed in half-court settings against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. A defensive rating against Milwaukee today in half-court settings of 64.7, according to Cleaning the Glass. This Boston team, as we know, is brilliant defensively, but you can really put some numbers on that and look at this and say, well, you can kind of paint a picture of Miami having a tough time you know, scoring in half-court. Boston's pretty switch-happy. They can match up with many guys on the court that Miami can throw out there, and they'll feel comfortable switching pretty much any matchup that Miami is going to throw out there now, when you're looking at this, it's not all just fire and brimstone and, oh, my God, the Heat are screwed here. I think an area in which Miami might thrive in this half court, and when, again, we're just keeping this to half court settings at this point right now, uh, it's offensive rebounding. On the season, Heat grabbed 26.9% of their missed attempts, and in the postseason, they have the best half court offensive rebounding rate at 33.2%. So against Philly and against Atlanta, they grabbed 33.2% of their missed attempts in half court situations. Their 148.5 points per 100 putback plays, also best in the postseason. So if Miami's going to work this thing, and if they're going to have a little bit more success in their half-court offense, it's going to be by working the offensive glass. It would make sense against a team like Boston. Boston, not really an overwhelming rebounding team. 72.5% defensive rebounding rate. And they've only grabbed 50.9% of available rebounds coming into today in the postseason overall. Or excuse me, those are regular season numbers. And coming into this game today, postseason, 70.4% defensive rebounding rate, worse than what they posted in the regular season, and 48.8% overall rebounding rate, worse than what they did in the regular season. So, in other words, Boston hasn't been a very good rebounding team. They haven't been extremely poor, but they have been below average. And so if you're Miami, the way you're going to work this is, if the shots aren't falling in terms of your half-court offense, 
then you're going to have to work the offensive glass. They've shown the ability to do that so far in the postseason. They've done it in the regular season, and Boston has shown some issues in terms of working against the offensive glass. And you have a great example, right? The game five, the blown lead against Milwaukee, the rebounding was an issue for them in that game. You know, Boston, when you talk about giving up seven offensive rebounds in that game in the fourth quarter alone, uh, giving up 66.7% of available rebounds in the fourth quarter of that game five loss to the Milwaukee Bucks because they were going a little bit bigger. So you kind of saw the rebounding struggles of the Celtics in this series alone. So it leads you to believe that Miami, who has been a pretty good rebounding team, especially offensively, could uh, have a, an impactful edge in this series against the Boston Celtics. So second chance points going to be crucial for Miami. But despite all of those struggles for Miami in terms of their half-court offense, they've still averaged 115.7 points per 100 possessions in nine garbage time minutes in the postseason, and that's been because of their transition offense. Their transition offense has been pretty good. Second-highest frequency of possessions beginning with the transition play, 15.9% in the postseason, and they've added three points per 100 possessions through transition offense. So overall, those are pretty good figures. So this seems like a team that's going to get up and down the floor. They're going to be able to run. Again, transition doesn't necessarily mean it's a high pace. They pick and choose their spots, and when they get out in transition, they're good. For me, the problem there is if you actually dive into some of the numbers, it's actually because of their defense in which they're so good in transition because they're forcing turnovers. Most of those positive numbers that I'm giving you are due because of what they do off of steals. According to Cleaning the Glass, they add 2.6, Miami does, points per 100 possessions off of steals. 150.9 is their offensive rating in transition off of steals. And if you look at their offensive numbers through transition off of live rebounds, it's actually extremely poor. So it's not like the Miami Heat are ripping rebounds and running. They're actually really not that good in that facet of the game. It's about forcing turnovers and getting easy buckets going the other way. Now, you could still potentially do that. Boston does limited turnovers to a certain extent, but you did see game one of the series against Milwaukee. What did Milwaukee do? Milwaukee had some full-court pressure, picked them up the entire length of the court, and it led to some problems for the Boston Celtics. You saw today, early in this game, that they brought back that full-court pressure. So early on, you see a timeout from Ime, uh, Ime Udoka. Derek White comes on early to give him an extra ball handler to kind of alleviate that pressure. But that could be something where you see Miami come out, and they're willing to pressure the full length of the court to try to force some, uh, force some turnovers and thus try to get out in transition and get some easier buckets and work their transition offense. But if you're just talking about ripping and running, the Heat aren't really going to do that effectively against you. So I think, again, where you're talking about some of like, the different matchups and what you're going to be looking at at the course of the series, well, you can paint a picture of Miami having success in terms of their offensive rebounding in the half court, having success off of steals in transition. You know, it, I think it's still a little bit harder to kind of get there if you're the Miami Heat over the course of the best of seven. And then there's just the matchup of how Miami generates its offense overall. Outside of transition, just what they do, what they frequently do in terms of their offense. They're a sound team. They're prioritizing attacking the rim, shooting three-point attempts. They've averaged 40.4 drives to the basket per game in this postseason. They've attempted 30% of their shots within four feet of the basket. 69% is their shooting percentage on those attempts. So they're getting to the, they're getting to the rim through the course of their two series against Atlanta and Philadelphia, and they're shooting a really solid percentage. They also have the second-best points per paint touch in the rate, uh, rate in this postseason. So interior defense is going to be key here for Boston. Well, that actually kind of works here for Boston. Boston's a pretty good interior defense. We know about that, right? Especially, we'll see what happens for game one. Robert Williams, we know, has not been entirely healthy. So that's going to have a really big impact on this series because he's a, he's a great uh, help defender. It's one of the big differences they made, switching him and putting him a little bit more off ball, allowing Al Horford to play more role, uh, to play the role at center defensively and allowing Williams to come in and crash and help defend on those attempts within four feet of the basket. 
So if Williams is healthy, that's going to help you a lot, a, a lot out here against the Miami Heat. But a lot of that pressure at the rim for Miami and in the painted area leads to catch-and-shoot opportunities. So it's on Boston to limit dribble penetration of this matchup with Miami, shooting at the rim and catch-and-shoot opportunities. And I, I think those are all achievable goals for the Boston Celtics in this series against Miami. It, we'll have a little bit later more on Boston offensively versus Miami's defense, but we'll, I'll, start, I'll just say this. We saw today that Boston really picked apart a defense that was willing to allow them to shoot three-point shots. The Bucks today, stubbornly so, said, Grant Williams, you beat us. We're going to play off of you. We're going to allow you to get open shots. It didn't look like at first Williams was going to be able to do it. Ultimately, that pays off for them. Miami's going to allow them to take three-point shots, and we'll have some numbers on this, but I'm really curious. Boston today took over 50 attempts from three-point range. In the postseason, their three-point frequency is really high. It's higher than it was in the regular season. And you can see some more of that against Miami over the course of the best of seven. So we'll keep an eye on what the series price is going to be as that gets posted. When we come back, though, Mitch Moss, host of Follow the Money, is going to join us. Get his thoughts on what's going on in the NBA postseason, what we just saw, what we're expecting in the Eastern Conference Finals, and what he wants in the West. Welcome to VEASAN's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Winning never looked better. Make free hoops and soccer picks for a shot at a sweet payday with H&M Wear That Feeling Prediction Series. Enter three pools and compete for your share of $15,000 in total cash prizes at the DraftKings.com slash HM now to get in on the action. H&M to make everyone look and feel good. Terms and conditions and other eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, let's welcome in Mitch Moss, host of Follow the Money, native son of Wisconsin as well. Mitch, how you feeling? Bucks eliminated. Uh, well, it was good to get a championship last year, so feeling pretty good about that still. But, uh, you know, it's tough to repeat. And, you know, the, the loss of Middleton was clearly the way it played out is, uh, you know, who else really played well other than, you know, Lopez was awesome today in the first half. But of the ancillary players, I mean, the guys who look good in Chicago, surprise, surprise, they didn't really translate in this uh, in this uh, Celtic series. Yeah, I, we were. T- I uh, brought this up earlier, but the, the guards, not named um, Drew Holiday, six points, two of seventeen from the floor, zero of twelve from three point range today. That would be Grayson Allen, West West Matthews, Pat Connaughton, and George Hill. So not a lot of hop, uh, not a yeah. lot of help for Giannis. Uh, pretty bad. Where, why, by the way, where, where where was Javon Carter? Like Bud can't go to him. Was he hurt or something that I, that I missed? I mean, you're just going to stick with Grayson Allen the entire time, and Connaughton's horrible, and Matthews can't make a shot. Um, that was weird. I, I will. I mean, going back and looking at some of the stuff from the Celtics, though, uh, from you know January and February, this turnaround JVT is just incredible. I mean, I, I looked at it today. They were you know they were 18 and 21. Oh yeah. After they lost to the Knicks on January 6th. And in that game, they blew a 25 point lead. And that was already, that was already their fourth blown lead of at least 19 points during the year. And so they were tied for 11th. And I think that we're going to start to see some huge tickets come out of, you know, 50, 60, 70, maybe even higher than that to, to maybe win a conference or certainly, you know, to win the finals. Uh, yeah, I was on the uh, I was on the Celtics in that game in which they lost to the New York Knicks <laughs> and, and blew it. And RJ Barrett hit a game winning shot in regulation, not even in overtime, yep. regulation. Yep. Uh, and they fell. Yeah, you're right, to 18 and 21. And I was extremely pissed. And <laughs> I was like, dude, this team. And actually, Mitch, I brought this up uh, just a couple of days ago. I think a lot of people would be surprised because they were so good down the stretch, as you mentioned, they were blowing teams out. 
They actually finished 26th in clutch time net rating. They got outscored by 9.5 points per 100 possessions in clutch time because they were so bad offensively at times, and they really bogged down. And I, I don't think that's still over with because we saw that in this series, right? They blew that lead a couple of games ago against Milwaukee, and their their clutch time offense kind of fell apart. So I don't think they're out of fire, but to your point, I think they're clearly at, right now, you can make a very strong argument they are the best team left out of all of these teams. I would agree. Uh, I was thinking about that before the game today, and then certainly during it when they were pulling away, knocking down all those shots. Uh, and I, look, I really want to tell you that, that they're right there with the Suns, but I think, you know, going into tonight's game, um, you know, do we not have some question marks about the Suns this year and the championship? Because, you know, now I get it. They had, you know, Booker was injured for the Pelican series for a little bit, but to struggle like that, and I, I'm sorry, but you can't, I know you're a 64-win team, but you go on the road for three games in this series and you're essentially blown out all of them, and it's a bad look to me. Well, it's I think, too, because as we kind of tie this into Boston, you don't want to look too far ahead, right, because they still have the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, but I think you can throw Miami in here as well, where like, even look at Golden State, too, where Golden State can barely get by the Memphis Grizzlies. The Grizzlies are forcing turnovers left and right. They're beating them up a little bit on the glass as well. Like Every yep. team has kind of looked uh, like flawed to an extent uh, that is still here. But the, the fewer flaws have popped up, I think, with the Boston Celtics. Like They look like a team who has put this performance together more consistently than any of the ones that have been still, uh, that have still been alive at this point right now. I would totally agree with that. And I, you know, despite what I said moments ago about you know, the, the others not playing well for the Bucs in this Game 7, you still have to go through the best player in the NBA for seven games. And Giannis has that championship moxie, and he was just awesome, you know, as always, for most of it. And uh, that's not you know, full, at full health. You know, the, the Bucks are probably, I don't know, the two best teams in the NBA might be Boston and Milwaukee when Milwaukee has Middleton. And um, yeah, I just, I, this team to me right now, the Celtics, uh, very few weaknesses at all. And to, for anybody who's watching right now, to give you an idea of how highly regarded by odds makers the Boston Celtics are, series prices are getting posted right now. DraftKings just opened up the Celtics as a $1.60 favorite in the series against the Miami Heat. And that would be the top seeded. Uh, Miami Heat, who are going to get game one on their home floor. So you'd expect that uh, this number for Miami in terms of if that series price is accurate, if the market likes it, uh, that these twos that are out there in terms of Miami for game one are going to start to disappear relatively quickly. All right, Mitch Moss is with us, host to follow the money. Uh, so we're kind of espousing everything that we like about the uh, Boston Celtics. Let's take a look at this game later tonight, and then we can talk some bigger picture stuff as well as we kind of move on. But what's your feel here? Dallas right now, six and a half point favorite. The total is as low as 204. We see how crazy these game sevens get in terms of how slow paced and low scoring they can be. Did you have anything here tonight between Dallas and Phoenix? No, I'm just writing out my uh, Dallas futures that I have. Uh, having to win the West, having to win the uh, the title as well. Um, I, you know, in terms of the total, like you said, it's now down to what two hundred four is worth sitting. And think about where this number was at. How the last game they played was uh, two ten, and you know, earlier in the series it got to like two eighteen or in that neighborhood. I know you said about the game sevens. Look at the game that just you know got over with not too long ago, and that how that number came down a little bit throughout the series, and how, where that was played at today. But 204, are we, is it getting to the point now where it's so low that you could maybe uh, you know, look at the over, or is it a full pass for you, you think, at this point? I, th- I think we're at the point where at 204, you're going to look at this potentially over. Right? And I think, too, out of the two, the two game sevens that we're getting today, uh, this would be the one. Like These are the two, I think, more skilled offensive teams when you're looking at it from that perspective. You clearly have the better offensive yeah. player here in uh, Luka Doncic for the Dallas Mavericks, and... I mean, the Celtics shot a lot of threes today, but the Mavericks are so perimeter-oriented that you could see this stumble over 204 just the way they play offense. Sure, sure. And in terms of, like, 
the point spread. I, look, I want to make a case for the Mavericks to certainly cover and maybe even potentially win this game outright. But um, is it too simple to sit here and, you know, just kick around the idea that the home teams in the series have been so dominant that it's not going to change today. And, you know, this has been a, a, a very, it's, it's an ongoing narrative. And Charles Barkley's talked about this for many, many years on TNT. Um, and that is simply put the, the others on these basketball teams just play better at home than they do on the road. And we've seen that throughout. And, and certainly the Mavericks are exhibit a, some of the others on this team that, you know, I don't think, a, a you know, casual NBA fan could even rattle off their names when they're watching these games show up and they have, you know, 18 points and they're hitting five threes and they're being dangerous. But when they go on the road, it's been a different story. And then, you know, the fouls for Chris Paul, what, what is the number now? I think he's been called for 15 personal fouls in the three road games, only seven at home. So that's a huge factor. And that's, you know, I mean, look, it, it, you never really know how these calls are going to go and how they might benefit the home team. And that's something that, you know, there's no Scott, Scott Foster for a talking point. So thank God on that, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, and I think you tweeted this out a couple of days ago, right? The fact that Foster is not going to be available and the fact that it's a story, I think, uh, is a somewhat negative look for the league. Well, I mean, it was it picked up a ton of traction that he was going to be on, you know, the, the game for the Bucks and Celtics, yep. and then he couldn't make that one. And then, of course, was he going to be available for the uh, Suns game? And then that was a whole. Yeah, I, I just I think it's silly that you know that that it's it picks up that much news. Uh, by the way, so we're talking about the totals for this uh, these game sevens. This is from Steve Mackin in Points Per Weekly since 2013. First round game sevens, ten and six to the over, but. Second round, now 7-3 and three to the under after this latest game. It goes under the total. And in conference finals and the NBA finals, game sevens, a perfect 6-0 and to the under since 2013. So it gives you an idea of how these games are played uh, once you get a little bit farther along. And the talent gets a little bit tighter in terms of how these two teams face off of one another. Uh, these become some pretty, uh, we'll call them ugly affairs in terms of the scoring there. Uh, Mitch Moss with this. All right, so the price is up. We'll go back to the East really quickly. $1.70. You think that's a little too high there for the Boston Celtics as a series price? They, again, for those who don't remember, they're the two seeds, so they're going to be on the road to start this series. Well, so I'm holding. I went and looked earlier this, uh, today. I have uh, Celtics 18-1 to 1 to win the East from back in February. If, if this number was a little bit lower, like in the $1.40 range, I would be adding more on Boston. I'm not going to do it at $1.70. Uh, I do like them in this matchup quite a bit, uh, but I'm not going to do that. Uh, there's no need for me to do it at this point. Um, I just, I do think that they're the better team. I, I, I do, you know what, JBT, I'm seeing William Hill open up a dollar fifty-five. Yeah. So I wonder where this is going to settle in at. And my guess is probably, you know, closer to the DK number of a buck 60, maybe a buck 65, something like that. Um, and again, this is going to come down to, I think, you know, other than guys like Bam and Hero, how they're going to play in this series and Jimmy Butler, what about the others for Miami? Cause I, I'm pretty, at this point, I'm pretty convinced that, you know, Boston's going to show up and be uh, this is not going to put it this way. The Heat are not going to win this series in five games. Like this is either going to go like seven games or the Celtics are going to end it early because I have full faith in that team showing up every single night for the most part. So what can we get from those other players? Not name the three names that I just threw out there for Miami is going to be the, the entire key to the, to the series. Yep. You saw in Miami when they hit the road against Philly, they, they it was Bucks-esque in terms of nobody else showing up except for Jimmy Butler. Yep. Uh, and we will play this back when ultimately Miami wins in four. But uh, I do of think I, I think that uh, that Boston is going to tear through this team. Might be strong, but uh, I think Boston wins this in five. I, I really like this uh, matchup for the Boston Celtics, and I really come along to respect this team, as it sounds like uh, you have too. So uh, we will see. Again, they are favored in a series in which they do not have home court for a reason. Mitch, uh, we are up against it, but I appreciate a couple of minutes, man. Thank you. All right, pal. Thanks for having me. You got it. Mitch Moss again at Mitch Moss Radio up on Twitter, of course, host to follow the money. So you can listen to him here 
on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network, 7 a.m. Eastern Time. We'll come back. Uh, we'll go back to this Eastern Conference Finals matchup because there's a little bit more we have to talk about and explain a little bit more as to why I think the Celtics uh, can have potentially a quick series on their hands if they do everything right. That's here in Harvard Handicap. Decent's Hardwood Handicappers. Now here's your host, Jonathan Von Tobel. Decent Spring Specials here for only 59 bucks. You get everything Decent has to offer from now to the end of July. Next few months are going to be filled with the best betting content in the business right here at decent.com. And subscribers are going to have access to all of it. It includes Adam Burke's Daily Major League Baseball Best Bets. Myself have best bets all the way through the NBA Finals. Today, if you went up there, vcin.com slash JVT. Mavericks plus six and a half. Andy McNeil going to break down all the action on the ice all the way through the Stanley Cup playoffs. Got lots of NFL preseason coverage as well, not to mention all the other sports like golf, UFC, USFL, and NASCAR. If you want the full vcin experience, you know where to go. vcin.com slash spring. $59 to be a subscriber through July 31st. All right, heading back to what we're looking at here with the Eastern Conference Finals. Holding strong on the screen right now with Miami as a two-point favorite. The initial line was two and a half, and this is for game one of their Eastern Conference Final Series. Total of 206 and a half. You'd expect some market correction one way or the other at some point because uh, Boston does open up as the $1.60, $1.70 favorite in this series overall. Uh, so we will see if maybe I would expect, given the initial move in the market for the line, that we're probably going to get to Miami minus one or pick potentially for this game, uh, game one. But you are going to hear a lot about how the spot is poor for the uh, Boston Celtics, but uh, I am always one to kind of push back to a certain extent uh, when it comes to spots, just given the fact that it's the postseason, and I don't think that there's going to be a letdown spot for a team trying to win a title. So with that, uh, let's focus a little bit more. So we were talking about Boston's defense taking on Miami's offense, the struggles potentially Miami could have in the half court. They're a good offensive rebounding team, but their overall offense seems to stagnate in those situations, and the fact that their transition offense has been good, but their transition offense is relying on forcing turnovers, so if you're not going to do that against Boston, maybe you're in a little bit of a tough spot. So let's talk about Boston offensively, because I'm equally as intrigued about this matchup between these two um, when it comes to how Miami will defend the Boston Celtics. So we know already, right, tying it into transition, that the, the Miami Heat do want to force a few turnovers, and you're probably going to see a lot of pressure from the Miami Heat. And Boston, to give them, or to take some credit from them, I guess, uh, has not been the most efficient half-court offense in the postseason either. Average 95.7 per 100 plays coming into this Game 7 meeting with Milwaukee. Uh, that is not the best half-court rating in any sense. Today, 98, so a little bit above average. But regardless, hasn't been the most efficient unit in the NBA. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. 
Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. It wouldn't confuse it uh, with one of the most efficient. So it's going to be a little bit of a problem for the Celtics as well, given that Miami, uh, offensive, excuse me, defensive rating of 89.9 in the half court this postseason. It's one of the best half court defenses in the league. We know that by now. But the interesting wrinkle here is, for me, how Miami defends going against the way that Boston wants to run its offense. Miami, as we know, is going to allow teams to take three-point attempts. They have allowed 40.2% of opponent attempts in the postseason to come from beyond the arc. 27.2% of those shots from above the break are non-corner threes, 13% from the corners. Boston has generated a really good amount of its offense here in the postseason from the perimeter. Coming into today, 41.5% of their field goal attempts come from three-point range, 31.2% non-corner, 10.3% from the corner, and again, coming into today, shot 36.9%. And you look at what they did against Milwaukee, and today, of course, right, 22 of 55, shot 40% on 55 attempts from beyond the arc. So, in other words, if Miami is going to force them or allow them to take those three-point shots with prioritizing rim defense as one of those uh, philosophies, key philosophies for the Heat, Well, the Celtics have shown, I mean, they just won a series by doing it. The Celtics have shown that they're perfectly comfortable in terms of steering into this reliance reliance or uh, just high frequency of three-point attempts. And they've done it in this postseason. Their three-point frequency is higher than their regular season rate of 39%, but it speaks to their ability to adjust here a little bit. And what also worries you, I think, a little bit for Miami, which is why I was on the 76ers in a couple of those games, why well, I bet the 76ers to win that series right after game or right before game three, no, right before game four, um, was Miami did get a little lucky through the first two series of the postseason. Some of these numbers to paint the picture, right? Miami has allowed, in terms of open three point attempts per game, that would be defender four to six feet away, 15.4 open three point attempts per game. And opponents only shot 31.8% on those attempts. That would be Atlanta. That would be Philly. In terms of wide open three-point attempts per game, defenders six feet or farther away. Miami has allowed 12.6 of those per game, and their opponents shot just 33.8% on those attempts. So if the Heat are going to allow these open attempts again in this series against Boston, I think you wonder if they'll be able to get away with it against the Celtics. And Boston, to give them credit, if they're given the opportunity... They're going to take it, and they're going to make the most out of it. Coming into this Game 7 matchup today, they shot 37% on open attempts and 40.5% on wide-open attempts. So you're perfectly capable here, if you're the Boston Celtics, of, if you're handed, perimeter shots, of making those perimeter shots and taking advantage of them. Now you can go back to, and the Heat are really good at this, allowing the guy who you really you would like to take the three-point shot to take the three-point shot. But at the same time, if you look at Boston in terms of some of the lineups they throw out there, when it's Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Grant Williams, and Al Horford, I mean, all five of those guys are capable of hitting a three-point shot. So you can pick your poison, and you can go with the game plan that Milwaukee had today, which was challenge Grant Williams to make three-point shots. We're going to sag off you. We're going to allow you to get open corner threes. You have to hit them. And Grant Williams responded by taking a Game 7 record in terms of attempts and hitting them at an extremely high rate. And it was the same thing when they were playing off of other guys as well. Peyton Pritchard made him pay multiple times. So you kind of get where you're, you see where you're going with this. If Miami's going to continue to prioritize this, then I think that's going to be a little bit of a problem for them in this matchup. And I think going back to the regular season matchups that we saw, 
I think you did see a little bit of that in that November matchup between these two uh, when Boston ended up winning that game by 17. And that, yes, it was in November. It was at the beginning of the regular season. But it was also when Boston was playing some of its worst basketball, when Miami was kind of at its, you know, college's peak because this was the one seed in the Eastern Conference. But they were rolling at that point. Boston went into Miami and absolutely stomped the heat. It was a stretch in which the Celtics were playing extremely poor basketball. I just think that this Celtics team matches up really well with the Miami Heat. They can force their hand when it comes to defending three-point attempts. They've got enough guys that if the Miami Heat adjust in terms of what they do from a defensive game plan standpoint, they can to get to within four feet of the basket, get into the painted area of the floor. It's going to be the tougher part about it, but still they can. They can defend relatively well in half-court situations. The Celtics can. We know that. We've seen the numbers. We gave them to you in terms of the way they've defended this season. I just like this Celtics team a lot. And if you look at it overall, it makes sense that not only did the market move immediately when this opened up two and a half down to two, and we'll see where it ultimately ends up for game one, but also why they open up as a $1.70, sixty favorite in this series against them, despite not having home court. So we'll see. And the Celtics have clearly moved up in terms of the power rating overall. Now we're down to our final five, because we have yet to decide who's going to go to the Western Conference Finals between Phoenix and Dallas. But I think when you look at the way the Phoenix has played through the first two rounds, struggling on the road in both series and just scuffling overall with a team like the New Orleans Pelicans and then again with the Dallas Mavericks, the way that you see Golden State and that series against the Memphis Grizzlies come out very lackadaisical in multiple, one, uh, multiple of those matchups and having trouble with the way the Grizzlies have been playing them defensively and the Boston Celtics being perfectly capable of replicating a game plan like that in terms of getting up in the jerseys of a lot of these guys, ignoring Draymond Green as a scorer, the way that he ignores the basket. Like There's a lot there and a very clear path, I believe, for the Boston Celtics to be the highest power-rated team in the NBA. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. I'm not sure if the market would allow that to happen. It might, but I think at this point right now, there's a really strong argument to be made that the Boston Celtics are the best team left in the association, at least when you're talking about rating them and who you would say has the most probabilistic outcome in terms of winning the NBA Finals. So we'll see if that's going to be the case. Clearly, they're favored to win this series against the Miami Heat, and we'll see how that plays out. So again, and going back to this Tuesday matchup in Game 1, I did take two with the Boston Celtics. You say, there's there's different ways you can argue in terms of the matchup, right? You can argue that it's a letdown spot for them. I don't think that's the case. I actually think it's somewhat good to play a game seven and then come back and get going yet again. Really good point. We saw the Memphis Grizzlies in their series with the Golden State Warriors. They have to play a really tight and tough series with Minnesota. They get one day off between the end of that game. Boom, go to take on the Golden State Warriors. And what happens? Well, they go ahead and they cover. And yes, you needed to... Missed a few free throws from Clay Thompson, and there was a little bit of a meltdown from the Golden State Warriors, but still played them extremely tight in that game and ultimately in that series. So I do think that the uh, the Celtics are in a pretty good spot. Now, as far as scoring and pace and everything like that, I'm, I'm really interested. I think these two, like, they differ when it comes to pace of play in the postseason, but not by that much. Boston coming into today averaged about three more possessions per game than Miami. That's going to come down now that they just played this slow game against the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. But they're pretty close in terms of half-court rate. 81.5% of the Celtics' possessions have been in half-court settings. 803 for the Miami Heat. Given how well these two play defensively, and you saw in the regular season, average closing total of about 211.8 average closing total between these two. And again, varying rosters and all those matchups. I thought this was going to be about a 209. I'm not going to make it totals. I thought this was going to be a series in which it was going to be about 209, and we're at 206 and a half, so somewhere in that range. Pretty low uh, pretty low total. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Celtics do have, um, we'll call it some offensive success that maybe not a lot of people see coming against a really, really good 
Miami Heat team. And also, we, we should point out, too, I mean, there's injuries on both sides here, but how healthy is Robert Williams as we move into this series now? Are we going to see him early on? Is he going to have to take another day? Like, there's a lot of other outcomes here, too. Kyle Lowry's health, too, as they move forward the Miami Heat, too. So there's a lot there, but I can't wait for that series. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, when we come back, uh, we got a lot left to get to in the Western Conference. We'll talk about, again, the matchup that we have later tonight, and we'll preview what Golden State has coming for them between either Phoenix and Dallas. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.